How many of us have prayed for something we wanted, right? How many, how many times have you prayed to win the lottery or maybe you prayed that there would be another season of The Office or maybe you prayed for your team to win the championship or you prayed for the person in front of you to get out of the way or maybe you just prayed that McDonald's would get your order right or that Chick-fil-A drive through line wouldn't be wrapped around twice around the building. But seriously though, You prayed to sell the house or find a new house. You've prayed for a new job or that promotion. You prayed for your marriage to get better, better, or maybe that your ex-spouse would allow you to see the kids. For that scan to come back clear. For the business to come in so you wouldn't have to shut down the business. For a parent or a child to be healed. And then we prayed some more. And then we prayed a little bit more. And then still nothing and it felt like it was a no from god and then we stopped and when we stopped maybe we asked what could we do god god what can we do to get you to say yes or maybe you question whether or not god even loves you and we're going to learn today that when we look at the cross it was a result of a no and then we're going to see how God responds after the no. See, when we pray for something and it doesn't happen, it's easy to believe that God hasn't answered our prayers. Perhaps we begin to think that God has forgotten about us or he's too busy dealing with bigger and better things. Perhaps we try to change our behavior almost like it's superstition. I don't know about you, but... When Jenny's watching the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and I come in after, you know, studying and praying, she often tells me, you know, that's a joke, but there's been a time where I'll sit in one particular spot after my team scores and I don't move. And the reason why I don't move is because they scored. They were down and then they scored and where I'm sitting, I don't want to move now. now I know that sounds a little ridiculous. But sometimes that translates to our relationship with God. And sometimes we're doing something and then God answers our prayer. And then whatever we were doing, however we were praying, we want to replicate that. We want to keep doing that so that God gives us what we want. And so we'll do what worked before. We'll do it again. Maybe to get God's attention, to get God to say yes. It's even likely that, uh, I don't know about you, I'm not trying to, speak for you but i do know from talking with many people over the last couple of decades is that we begin to question whether or not god loves us then over the last few weeks we've looked at how love is defined and it's defined differently in fact the word love has many degrees in our english language but we still have one word for it like i could say that i love my wife and i love bluebell ice cream now there is a difference with that degree of love. Really what I'm saying is, I really like Billy Bell ice cream. I would sacrifice for my wife. That's two different things. It's interesting that sometimes we think of love in America as something that could be earned. Or at least as how we act. Like if love can be earned, is it really love? So when we look at the Greek language, I don't know if it's because our English language is really lazy. It's a lazy language. But when we look at the Greek language, 
which was the language of our New Testament, there were seven words they used to describe love. Seven. We use one. And the New Testament writers used three of these words. See, the Greeks knew, and they were clear that not all love is the same. They were clear that not all love is the same. So you had Eros, and Eros was named after the god of love and fertility, and the Romans called that god Cupid. And that type of love isn't inherently bad. It's, it's a good love. It's passion and desire that God actually gifts us, and it gifts married people to enjoy each other and strengthen the trust between them and make sure that the human race continues to grow. It's a good form of love. Now, here's the deal. This love gets you started, but it doesn't sustain. This love gets you started, but it doesn't sustain. One of the dangers of this love is that when it's misapplied and it's abused, it can get out of control. It can be very, very hurtful. And then you have phileo, and phileo refers to a love between friends. It's like you generally care about someone. It's a love between people who like each other. And of course, men and women handle this type of love differently. This isn't a love for those who are not like you and those who don't like you. The Greeks were clear that not all love is the same and good. If we look at those two forms of love that we just talked about, some of us want to be loved so much that we're willing to do the following. We are willing to date down out of desperation. For some of us, we stay in a relationship so that we don't feel alone. And what happens is we tolerate bad treatment. Or maybe we settle and we're with someone that we don't see life the same way. We have completely different views, but we just don't want to be alone. And so we're willing to settle. For others of us, man, we're moving way too fast. Others of us, we're anxious in our relationships. And then the Greeks, they had this, they knew that there was one form of love that was always good. It was always good. It was agape love. It was selfless and sacrificial. And they knew that many people would never achieve this form of love. It was more than a feeling. It was an action. It went from being a noun to a verb. It, this type of love is for those like you and not like you. Those who like you and those who you like and those who you don't like and those who don't like you. The agape is the love that God has for you. It's the love that God has for me. And in, in case you missed anything that I've said so far, or maybe you zone out later on, I don't want you to miss this. For some of you, I, I, I know at times in my own life, I can get mad at God. And I could get frustrated. And there was a time in my life that I didn't love God. And I want you to hear this because this is true. His love for you is not dependent on your love for him. He showed you that he's all in for you. And the way that he showed that was through the death and resurrection of his son. See, we talked a few weeks ago about the ultimate relationship is it marriage? It's not with another person. The ultimate relationship for us is with God. 
And God gave the ultimate investment for that ultimate relationship. That's how I know that he loves you. That's how I know that he loves me. So, what if God says no because he loves you? What if he says no because he loves you? If you've ever felt God say no, you're in really good company. In fact, there are some really big power players that God said no to. David, who was arguably Israel's greatest king. This is a guy that's described as being a man after God's own heart. No one else was described that way in the Bible. This, this man wanted to build God a temple. And he prayed and he prayed and God told him no. In fact, that he shed too much blood was a result of why he could not build God his temple. And God said, I want your son Solomon to build it. David was told no. And then Paul, who went from persecuting Christians to becoming a Christian and then becoming a church planner and This is a guy who energized a movement that outlasted the Roman Empire and is still thriving today around the world. Paul, who asked God on three different occasions to remove a thorn in his side. We don't know who it was or what it was. We don't know if it was a person, a problem, or maybe even a disease. We have no idea. And God told him no. And he reminded him that I'm saying no, but I want you to know that my grace is enough for you. And then God said no to his own son. And that's what we're going to lean into today. That God said no to Jesus. And then we're going to see what God did after he said no to Jesus. And I hope that it inspires you. So we're going to jump into Luke's written biography of Jesus's ministry. So we're going to be in Luke 22. And as we jump into his biography of Jesus' ministry, remember that Luke wrote most of the New Testament, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. So Luke is writing based on the information from eyewitnesses. So right before, let me give you some context on what we're about to read. So it's Passover, and they have their meal together. As they have their meal, Jesus is pretty clear on what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to lay down his life. And so he tells Peter what's happening. And Peter says, oh, I would never deny you. And he's like, no, you're going to deny me three times. Before the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And then he says to the other disciples, he says, listen, Satan has desired, the devil has desired to make your life difficult. Don't give in to that temptation. And then he says this. He asked, when I sent you out to preach the good news, you did not have money? a traveler's bag, suitcase, or an extra pair of sandals. Did you need anything? And they're looking around, they're like, no, no, we didn't need anything. And and the reason why he's reminding them of this is they never lacked anything. When they were with him, people were flocking to Jesus. They wanted a miracle. They wanted something to happen in their life. And so people were hospitable. I mean, they were treated, the disciples were treated with so much hospitality. People in the villages and the towns took care of them. 
because they were with Jesus. And even when Jesus sent them out, they carried the message of Jesus. They were able to heal people. So yes, people treated them with hospitality. But now the narratives are going to shift and the message that they once spread and was met with hospitality will now be met with hostility. So he wants them to be prepared. He says, but now take your money and a traveler's bag. So take your money, take your suitcase, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So this is odd. I mean, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Jesus is now instructing his disciples to provide for themselves, including the defense against their, from enemies. And so his instruction of taking up a sword doesn't contradict his ethic of non-retaliation. See, when Jesus taught about turning the cheek, it was how to respond to personal slights. See, self-defense has to do with wisdom, understanding, and tact. Now, here's the deal. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but them having swords would have classified them as rebels. And I often wonder what Simon the Zealot, you know, that trained militant assassin, would have thought. Oh, Jesus, I got swords. I've got training under my belt. This is what I signed up for. He says, for the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He says, he was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. And what Jesus is doing, he's referring to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, which was written several hundred years before Jesus was alive. And so Jesus knew the time was coming for him to die. So they said, look, Lord, we have two swords among us. And he says, that's enough. And two swords would be enough. And what was going to happen that night? Notice what happens next. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives. So it was about 15 minute walk from where they were in Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. See, Jews usually stayed up late on Passover night. So you think about the first Passover and what Jesus is saying, look, you guys, this is typical for you guys. You usually stay up, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that you're not going to give into temptation. Listen, the devil has desired to make your life difficult. Peter, I've already talked with you that you're going to deny me three times before the morning comes. I want you to pray that you're not going to give in. I want you to pray for strength. And then he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Notice what he prays. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. God, if there's another way around, I know you have plan A, but is there a plan B? Look, we have a couple swords just in case we want a plan B. Lord, I'm asking for a plan B. Father, I'm asking for a plan B. And, and we begin to see a glimpse of Jesus' humanity. I mean, it's a human nature. None of us, we want to avoid pain and suffering. None of us, at least, at least that I know, we're not jumping up and saying, yeah, let me go through pain and suffering. That's something we want to avoid. And although he knows what's coming next, he asks his father if there is another way instead of the torture and execution waiting. And maybe mid-prayer, 
He gets a sense of peace knowing that there is no plan B. There is only plan A. And he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Perhaps mid-prayer, he just knew. So he begins to surrender to God's plan. He just surrenders. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice between God and humanity. And so God, if this is your plan A, I'm surrendering to your plan A. Before we move on, it, it, I think it's good for us to personalize this. And I'm not saying read ourselves into the scriptures, but let's think for a moment. Because how many times have you and I, we've quit praying. We didn't get what we wanted. Things are getting worse. We're too hurt to continue to ask God for something, and we just give up. How often... Have we had a hard time surrendering to something outside of our control? One of our kids' decisions. Selling the house, finding a new one. Someone else gets our promotion. Dating, finding, staying with the right person. Losing a parent, losing a friend, losing a child. How often have we just had a hard time surrendering to God's plan A. And then I love what happens next. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Can you imagine an angel help provide him the strength that he lost? Notice the word strength and it means to regain strength. So this took a toll on Jesus emotionally. And God the Father knew exactly what he needed to regain his strength to accept the no to the request of a plan B. And it seems that God the Father reminded his son, son, I want you to know that you're not alone, that I see you. You're not alone. I see you. Guys, there are times when God says no to you and that he may provide an angel to strengthen you. I, I like what Hebrews 1.14, what the writer says, therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. When, when God does not heal your child, he provides you strength. When, when God does not force your spouse to come back, he provides you strength. When he does not prevent the accident from happening, he provides you strength. And I love what George Morrison says. He says, every life has its Gethsemane. And every Gethsemane has its angel. Going back to the story, Jesus prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep. Exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Y'all should be celebrating the Passover. You should be praying what I asked you to pray. That you wouldn't give in to temptation. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. We're not sure how long the, the angel strengthened Jesus. We're not sure how long he stayed. But it left Jesus having the strength to accept God's no. 
But do you notice that God never took away his distress? God never took away his grief. See, for those of us who have grieved, or maybe we continue to grieve, the emotions that we have can wipe us out. But yet God provides us the strength to continue to pray for surrender and to recommit to follow. I mean, there have been moments in my life where I've grieved so deeply that I've prayed. And, and the thing that has allowed me to get up in the morning is his strength. The thing that has allowed me to continue to pray, continue to accept the no, has been his strength. Even when we're in distress about a situation, God is still caring for your soul, providing you the strength to move forward. During our years of infertility, I mean, it was really, really hard. And then when we made the decision to adopt, I remember being in a room with other couples learning about adoption. And then we met on a, on a regular basis and it was like a support group, I guess. And along the way, couple after couple were placed with a baby. And I'll be honest, I'm thinking you've got to begin me, God. Like, have you seen them? And I'm embarrassed to say that. God, I, I, how, how is it that, that they got selected? How are we not selected? How we how we how we have how have we not been placed with a baby? How how is this even possible? And I remember the Holy Spirit just putting me in my place. And this is my plan. And I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that the other couples that you're in the support group with, I want you to pray that they get placed. I'll be honest. It was one of the hardest prayers to pray, knowing that you want something so bad, and yet you're praying for someone else to receive the thing that you're praying for. The same thing happens here being a pastor. There have been moments where I had no idea if we were going to continue as a church. I'll be honest. God would put me in rooms with other pastors, other church planners. And God reminded me of the same thing. You're no better than they are. I have a plan for you and I have a plan for them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. See, as we look at the finished work of the cross and we look back at the resurrection we know from this side of history that god said no because there was something better in store like there's no resurrection without death your soul would not be able to be born again without the death and resurrection of jesus your relationship with him would not be restored without the death and resurrection of jesus and as we look at our circumstances that we're praying for god to say yes to God may tell us no because he knows that there is something better for us. There's something better for you. And faith is trusting that God knows what he is doing and has something better than what we want. I believe that his no is to make room for a better yes in you and for you. For those who are parents and grandparents and teachers and coaches, 
When we say no, when our kids want a yes, it's not because we don't love them. It's because we know what's best for them in the long run. Many of you guys know that my daughter, she loves to shop. And I'm not sure where she gets that from because <laughs> we don't really like to spend money. But she, for some reason, she, she has that. So she likes to shop and she likes to go to the Dollar Tree. Well, the Dollar Twenty Five Tree. And so she's going to the Dollar Twenty Five Tree. And I remember us being in there. And I, I've told this story before. And she did not bring her money. And so we're in the store, and I didn't know that, and I asked her, I said, well, let's get your money out, let's count what you have, and she's like, well, I don't have my purse. I'm like, baby, well, you're not, you're not getting anything. Now, you might sound, that sounds really cruel that you would not, you would not lend her the money. Not that I didn't want to do anything for my daughter. I, I do, and I, we do a lot of things for her. But we knew in that moment that we were trying to do something in her. See, God is trying to do something not just for you, but in you. And sometimes he allows suffering to happen so that he does something not just for us, but in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to to know what happens when you say no. Thank you so much for the times in my life, and whether it was an angel or whether it was you through the Holy Spirit providing me strength to get up in the morning, to pray for those other couples, to pray for those other pastors. I want to say thank you. And God, I pray that, that those who are maybe on the fence with Christianity, that they would they would investigate you. They would investigate how much you love them and that you would show them and remind them that your love for them isn't dependent on their love for you. Father, I pray for those who are followers of Jesus that you would allow growth to happen. They wouldn't stop praying, but they would continue to pray, but they would also realize that there may not be a plan B and for them to accept that. Father, may our lives honor you. May it bring you attention and fame. In Jesus' name, amen.